Complacency Kills is the name of a book written by Alex Shattuck. He um, has written it there. You'll see the line, decrease hours and increase profits by applying a marine lesson from war to your business. That's his um, phrase. That's what he says. He uh, was a US Marine. He went to um, Iraq and he was a Marine there. Um, and he basically said he was going to take his all that he learned to apply it into his book. Um, I am having a slight technical issue here. Um, why not? Turn to the person next to you. Um, complacency kills. Where do you think you have seen that or learned that before? I'll come back to you in 30 seconds. Achan has been complacent. 
and verse 2 to 5, Israel too is complacent. They think that this place of Ai looks like an easy place to go. They only send 3,000 men. And actually it says a lot what they don't say. Because they never say, oh, we don't need God's help anymore. We don't need to rely on our faithful God. They don't say that, but we never do, do we? We never say, oh, I don't need God's help to deliver this sermon when my iPad crashes. We just roll on. We don't say, I don't need God's help today. We just crack on. But we never do, do we? They don't depend on him. They're complacent. And somehow, the people of Israel have become complacent. And so as they go into war with I, did you see, Israel is routed. That means beaten heavily, if we don't use that term very often. They lose 36 men, and their hearts melt in fear. Achan is not taking God seriously at his warning. He doesn't have a right fear of God. And the people seem to have completely forgotten how all through this conquest they've been completely dependent on him for deliverance. They think they can just waltz into Ai and take the people there. But complacency kills. Because it's a disregard for the consistent holiness of a perfect God. And look, Today, as we read through our passage, probably as you sat there reading through, or maybe you read ahead of today, you picked up it, it's quite heavy. And it must be, because it's a warning for us too, to not become complacent. Where you're tempted to become complacent, to have your head turned by appealing things that your God says no to, or forget that we depend on God for everything, there's a stark warning to us, don't disregard the perfect holiness of God. And look at verse 6 to 9, look at Joshua, you've got to have a bit of sympathy for him, he doesn't really know what's going on, remember that verse 1, it's a commentator's note, so he doesn't know what happened with Achan, he's panicked, he's on his face, he doesn't use language of repentance, but he doesn't know really what's going on. You see, it's very difficult to say if you look at Joshua what he's really thinking at all. We're not meant to make an ethical example of what he's doing here. But what we do know is he comes before God. And so the issue of what's at hand with the people of Israel here is unraveled. Joshua, he's battling to remember God faithfully delivers his people. I really want to cling to him. But we see the complacency of the people of Israel. Second, we see sin is serious. Verses 10 to 21. Sin brings consequences. Look what happens. God has to address the situation. What's especially uncomfortable as we read these words, as we look at this chapter, potentially more so than last week, is this is God's people. And he takes sin seriously. Look at verse 11. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. 
They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put, put them with their own possessions. See, at the heart of what sin is, it's a personal rejection of God and his design and his instruction. And so it is serious and it brings consequences. And look, if you look at the people of Israel here, it looks there's something of a corporate responsibility together, the people. Do you see? Israel have sinned. Within God's people, when someone is caught in sin, it, it looks like it reflects something on those people around. And so for us today at Town Church, will we take sin seriously? Will we recognise together it's a personal rejection of God and it brings consequences? Will we together commit to fighting it? So look at verse 12. That's why the Israelites can't stand against the enemies. That's what it says. That's why they failed. That's the reason for their loss of eye. Sin brings consequences. And verse 13. Sin destroys and contaminates. Look, read with me in verse 13. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Sin contaminates people. The people are called to consecrate themselves. That's to make themselves holy. Because they've been contaminated as a camp. See, the reality about sin is that whilst it's a personal rejection of God and his instruction... It has a horizontal effect. It contaminates what we do. Remember, this sin is hidden. No one knows about what Achan has done yet. And yet still, hidden sin has unhidden consequences. Maybe you're sat in the room this afternoon thinking, sin's not that serious, is it? If nobody knows about it, is it really that big a deal? Well, there's two reasons here that sin and hidden sin is serious. First, it destroys our relationship with God. Because we're in effect saying to God, I don't want you in this area of my life. And second, it contaminates. In fact, destroys everything. It's ruthless, it's relentless. I wonder where could that be the case for you? When you're on your own, thinking about how much someone frustrates you and you dislike them. You feed, in, uh, you feed into bitterness or envy and you keep on thinking about it. That inevitably will infect the way that you're ready to talk about them to other people, contaminate the way that you are going to speak to them. So dislike becomes gossip, becomes hatred and malice, and sin feeds sin, and relationships are destroyed. Sin contaminates. It infects. It destroys. The selfish desires and dreams that you feed in, in your mind that you're fixated on, that you desperately want to achieve, that inevitably affect your attitude towards people, how you spend your time and your money, and soon enough you'll quickly dispense with anything that might get in that way. 
your attention on people or things that you really do value. Sin leads to sin. It contaminates. It infects. It destroys. The thing you look at when no one else is there. Picture of a woman or man deciding to go for a momentary pleasure that seems to have no consequence. It quickly infects what you desire. It contaminates the things that you have in life that you value. It infects how you speak about others, how you look at others. Because sin leads to sin, and hidden unchecked sin infects, contaminates, and destroys. That Israel is thoroughly infected by sin, and God has still find a way to purify his people. And so, did you see verse 14 to 20 as we read through this process of rooting out sin, finding out what's going on? It looks like a painful process where everyone's presented tribe by tribe to find the offenders, and yet it has to be done. Because sin is serious. And at Town Church, we're committed together to rooting out sin. Because it's serious, it destroys, it contaminates, and so we want to walk alongside one another in formal and informal ways as friends, as family, in small groups. We as elders will walk with individuals to root out sin. If today, as you hear this, you're challenged to address sin, please speak to me, or Lance afterwards. We'd love to walk with you. And look at verse 20 to 21. Achan here is held responsible. Verse 20, here's his reply. It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done when I saw in the plunder of useful rope in Babylonia 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Do you see what he did? Just trace through the sentences. He saw, he coveted, he wanted, he took, he hid. It's exactly the same picture of temptation and sin that we see in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3 and the 4. He saw, he wanted, he took, he hid. I wonder, as we think of our own life, what's the temptation for us? What do we not have that we're tempted by? What is it that we attempt to look at and want? Be very careful how you think, what you look at. Because at the heart of sin is the desire to take what is not yours. Because what begins with Achan as having his head turned by something that looks shiny and attractive ends with a huge cover-up as he tries to cover up his big mistake. Sadly, you can probably think of a shocking revelation of public sin of someone that you know that would call themselves a Christian or once call themselves a Christian. And it seems to have come out of the blue. Sadly, that probably comes to mind quite quickly. But the reality is, it doesn't come out of the blue. Hidden, unchecked sin brings consequences. He saw, he wanted, he took, he hid. 
and sin is serious. And third, verse 22 to 26, God is fiercely angry at sin. God's anger burns against sin. Look at verse 1, we skated over a petrifying sentence. So the Lord's anger burns against Israel. That's what's especially uncomfortable for us, against his own people. But you see, what's uncomfortable is actually good news. Because God is consistently angry at wrath. Because he is consistently good. He is consistently angry at wrong because he is consistently good. Unfortunately, I've read and watched a number of reports of stories of abuse, predominantly in the world of sport, that have been uncovered, that have been reported on, that have been documented, and it's horrible, it's horrific, and it's really unsettling. The Athlete A documentary on Netflix, Football Stuff is Secret on BBC One, and one of the most heartbreaking and disturbing things is when someone's status or their skill has stopped people from asking the right questions when it's led to cover-up. And you hear that, and it riles you. You hear the stories of innocent people, and it riles you rightly, because it is not right. Their transgression has been excused. But God never excuses transgression. He cannot. He is consistently good, and so he is consistently angry at sin, and it is the very best thing for us and for the world. This is the consistent holiness of a perfect God. But when his sin is paid for, anger is turned away. Look at verse 26. Over Achan they heat a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turns from his fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Achan pays the price for his rejection of God. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. And the, when the wages are paid, God is satisfied. He is consistently angry at wrong. He's not a bully. He's not unreasonable. He is fair and he's right. He is completely and consistently good. And yet, if you're anything like me, that is terrifying. Because you just look at the description of sin that we've seen in our passage today. If it were just down to us, we would be in the same cycle as these Old Testament people. Continually needing to return to God. Continually listening out to see what happens next. There's absolutely no doubt that I deserve to be under the pile of stones in the Valley of Achor. As for you, and look, some of you would have walked in this afternoon already feeling pretty miserable about yourself. And maybe if you weren't, then the picture of sin and the reality of the weight of sin, it must be heavy on all of us. Jonathan Edwards writes, The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow of your heart and strains the bow. 
and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God, and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. It's petrifying. And actually, there's a real danger that as we look at some of the instructions we've heard this afternoon, don't have your head turned by shiny stuff, don't think things are going to be easy, don't think you deserve anything, flee from sin, root out sin together and confess it, take personal responsibility for sin. There's a danger we just read those things and we go, ah, it's just heaping more stones onto the pile. There's a danger that we hear all of this and at this moment we feel intense guilt. It's another list of things I cannot do. Except. Except that Jesus brings us rescue through justice. You see, when you're sat overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed by the perfect justice of God that should be sentenced on us, we must recognise Jesus. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Do you see, if you trust in Jesus, your sin is paid for. His anger is completely turned away. The bow has turned from you and onto Jesus on the cross. All of the weight of what we've just heard, all of the fear of our own sin, all of the shame of the things that I've done, it is no longer on you if you trust in Jesus. It is no longer on you. It is on Jesus. But if you're not a Christian in the room this afternoon, have to ask you, will you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Because God is consistently perfect in holiness. Sin will be paid for, either by you or by Jesus on the cross. And if you are trusting Jesus, if you are trusting Jesus, the weight of sin and shame is completely lifted. We don't need to hide like Achan. We don't need to make excuses. We don't need to feel guilt or shame. It is lifted completely. Because God is consistently angry at sin, and sin has gone. We can see it for what it is. We are transformed. We can take it seriously, we can flee from it, we can root it out together, we can confess it. We can take responsibility for it. All because Jesus has dealt with it. And he has given us the power to tackle it. All of the above is true. Complacency kills. We must not overlook God's consistent holiness. Sin is serious. It contaminates, it infects, it destroys. 
God is fiercely angry at sin, but God is angry at sin, and if you trust in Jesus, sin is on him. All of the weight of sin, it's not on us if we trust in Jesus. And so the only answer is to cling to Jesus and then to hate sin. Then we can say the words of Isaiah 12 that we looked at on Wednesday night. I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And in Christ we've been transformed. And by the Spirit we are being transformed to be more like Jesus every day. And so we can be less complacent. We can continue to tackle sin. We will become more and more like the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we see the picture of sin and we feel its weight, there is every danger that we feel guilty. But Lord, please would you help us to throw ourselves on the Lord Jesus, cling to him, and so feel no guilt. Lord, please would we hate sin as we cling to Jesus. Would you transform us to be more like him? Amen.